0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. ...about how the... the Buddha encouraged us to make effort in our practice, how he talked about what we need to cultivate and what we need to let go of. And um, in the way we talk about meditation a lot, we do uh, speak a lot about engaging with what is coming up in the present moment for us. And often, because of the habits and patterns of our minds, what's coming up in the present moment is some kind of struggle or difficulty. Not always, but often there is some kind of struggle or difficulty coming up. And so it seems like often what we're talking about is how to work with difficult emotions, how to work with pain in the body, how to deal with all kinds of conflict that comes up in relationship and thoughts that come up that produce challenging emotions. We're talking a lot about working with struggle. And so sometimes we get the idea, well, that's our practice. We, we face our struggle. And um, that's part of our practice. That's, that's definitely a part of our practice. And it's, uh, it's a part of our practice that actually supports us in meeting our lives more skillfully. And as we... Um, cultivate that ability to meet our lives more skillfully we also can start to notice that there's some other beautiful qualities that are coming around like maybe we're noticing some peace or some calm or some ease with experiences that we hadn't particularly um, felt before a situation comes up and we realize wow you know a couple years ago I would have been really struggling with this but now it's like well there's some struggle there but it's okay you know, there's, there's a kind of an allowing, an acceptance, and, an, and some ease around what's happening. And so this is the other side of our practice, is looking at cultivating the beautiful qualities that result from our practice and also can be actively cultivated in our practice. So this is what we might talk about as the other side of right effort. There's the side of right effort of meeting our difficulty, And seeing how we can let go and shift our relationship to our difficulties. And then there's the side of right effort that is cultivating these beautiful qualities. Part of the cultivation of these beautiful qualities comes through meeting our difficulty. And part of the cultivation of these beautiful qualities can come through kind of actively um, exploring the terrain of the uh, the qualities that support our happiness, qualities of peace, of kindness, of generosity. There's a, a list that I'd like to explore today. Uh, I'm going to take some weeks to talk about this topic because I think it gets a little bit of short shrift in our community. This exploration of beautiful, wholesome qualities of mind. So um, I'm going to spend some time, some number of weeks, kind of talking about this. Today the set of qualities I'd like to talk about, it's a list called the Ten Perfections. In Pali the term is the Paramis. And these are um, the, the, ten, the ten qualities, I'll just list them out to start with, are generosity, ethic, ethics or virtue, Renunciation, wisdom, energy, patience, truthfulness, resolve, loving kindness, and equanimity. So these are this is a set of ten qualities. And this set of ten qualities called the Paramis, there's a version of this list in most different lineages of of Buddhism. But they're different lists. It's not the same list in all these different um, traditions. So this is kind of a later list that people pulled together and different traditions, you know, kind of having branched off at different times, they came up with their own set of these qualities. But the basic understanding about these, these qualities, I think, in any of the traditions is that these are the qualities that are both cultivated as we move in the direction of freedom, of letting go of our struggles and coming to a place of peace of mind... And we also act, can actively cultivate these qualities. So they're both a result of our practice. If all we do is cultivate mindfulness and um, you know, looking at what's arising in the present moment, if, if we're not even thinking about cultivating these qualities, if we're just looking at cultivating being present for what's happening in our, in our experience, we, we are cultivating, for instance, patience and energy. And we're cultivating a sense of truthfulness, the truthfulness here not necessarily being the truthfulness of speaking, but the truthfulness of acknowledging what's true here in this moment. We're cultivating equanimity by learning how to be balanced around what's what's happening for us. And we're cultivating kindness to ourselves for how we meet our experience. And so, you know, these qualities are cultivated as we practice. And we can also kind of choose or look through this list and say, you know, is there one of these that perhaps might be helpful for me to be working with right now? You know, actually picking one up as a practice. So they're both... They both kind of come along for the ride as we practice, and we can actively cultivate them. Another way to look at this list is that... um, they're kind of the qualities that are um, present as our hearts open. As our hearts open and connect to experience, to other people, uh, to what's happening in the moment, as we're non-resistant to what's happening in the moment, these qualities begin to manifest. The other um, place of these this particular list, in, at least in the, in the tradition of Buddhism that we kind of teach and explore here, is that they are really understood to be the uh, domain of our daily life practice. So that cultivating these qualities, engaging in the world, that a lot of these qualities are about how we move through the world, and um, that that cultivating these qualities in our daily life is is part of our practice. In fact, in Asia, this is a lot of what a daily life practice is about. My understanding is that the um, communities around monasteries, you know, there's a lot of lay people around that live in the villages around the monasteries that come and visit the monasteries regularly, and they talk to the to the teacher there, and um, the the discussion often. I, as I understand, the discussion often kind of revolves around these paramis. You know, how, how are you practicing with these qualities? How are you working with generosity? How are you working with ethics? How are you exploring um, patience and truthfulness in your lives? So they are also a kind of a, a, a daily life domain. They're, they're in the domain of daily life. So I'd like to um, just very briefly, I mean, given that there are 10 of these qualities, and I now have 45 minutes left, you know, it's like there's not a lot of time to go into these qualities in detail. (laughs) I'm going to try to actually keep it short enough so that we do have some time for discussion. So I want to just very briefly kind of give you a flavor of each of these qualities and then talk a little bit more generally about how we might explore practicing with one of these. Um, you know, some, some kind of general guidelines around practicing with th- these kinds of qualities. So one of the ways to look at this list, especially in this tradition, um, I think there's a kind of two ways to look at it. One is that they're, they're supportive. Each one supports the next one. So that, you know, that um, uh, the cultivation of generosity kind of begins to lead into the cultivation of ethical conduct. The cultivation of ethical conduct then begins to lead into the cultivation of renunciation. And that actually the other understanding is that the next one, so that, you know, there's generosity, um, and then the next one that comes along is um, ethical conduct. And it's one of the reasons why these are called the perfections, why this list is given the name perfection, is because the the quality, the next quality, is said to perfect the previous quality. So I'll I'll try to describe what I mean by that as I go through this list. Then another way to look at this, so that's one way of looking at them kind of as sequential. You, You could start with, in fact, the... The commentaries say that the reason why generosity is the first one on the list, giving is actually the, the word, um, the trans- a better translation of the word, why giving is first on the list is because it's a very natural thing for humans to do, to give. And to begin, everybody does it whether they're thinking about it or not. It's kind of a natural part of give and take in life. And to begin to highlight it as a helpful quality to look at, in our lives. That it's a very natural place to begin our exploration of beautiful qualities of mind because it's just something that we, we naturally engage in. And so they can be kind of looked at as sequential that each one is um, uh, kind of, each one supports the next and the, the, there's a kind of a building on the qualities as we go through this. And another way to look at them is that they're all completely interrelated. That you can't really think about cultivating one Without also cultivating the others, so you know, for instance, if you're practicing um, generosity or giving, you're practicing that. Then you're also engaged in an exploration of um, of letting go of things that that are yours. If you're if you're engaged in that, so there's a, a little bit of renunciation that's being cultivated there, the letting go of something that's yours. There's a little bit of wisdom being cultivated in that we also need to explore in generosity. It's not just giving. um, We need to explore with that with wisdom. Not to to give um, either beyond our means or to give where it's not um, uh, asked for. To not give without expectation of getting something in return so that there's um, some wisdom that's being cultivated. So there's, there are ways in which they're all interrelated. So we can't really pick one out and cultivate it independently of the others. But I'll talk about them in the order in which they're t- traditionally listed and, and just kind of go through each of them briefly, very briefly. So generosity or giving. This is... Um, The practice of offering, of giving um, connection to others through offering. This is offering perhaps material things, perhaps um, financial support, perhaps our time. There's many ways to think about giving, not just in the kind of traditional sense of like giving to charity, but many, many ways uh, to think about giving. Our, all of our exchanges can al- almost always be thought of in terms of giving. If you go into the, into the, the grocery store and meet a, uh, a cashier, you, know, you might think about the generosity of giving a smile, of, of offering kindness to that person, as opposed to being involved in your own world. So all of our exchanges can be looked at in this framework of giving. Um, the cultivation of giving supports a letting go. It's, it's supporting this teaching of, of non-clinging. The understanding that clinging being one of the main um, causes of our struggles. That when we hold on to things, it's, we're kind of... Somebody, somebody described it as, as when we hold on to things we get rope burn because things are always moving and always changing and so if we're trying to hold on to things we are going to struggle and suffer because there's almost no way to hold on to things and so the giving begins to cultivate that sense of letting go of non-clinging this kind of generosity in this uh, area um, um We explore what it means to give without... It's kind of unconditional giving in a way. To give without necessarily expecting something back. What does that mean? To look at where giving is skillful for us. Skillful meaning um, that we're not overextending ourselves and also that we're uh, not giving in an unskillful way. That we're not um, offering where... Uh, you know there's there are times when we 're offering something that um, we 're offering it more to make ourselves feel better than necessarily to make the other person help the other person so to look look at that we are asked to look at that in our practice of generosity. the second quality the the quality of um, virtue or ethical conduct this is um, in in terms of connecting to the previous one, connecting to generosity, essentially when we are engaged in kindness, ethical conduct towards others, engaged in interactions with others with the uh, intent to refrain from harming others, we can look at this as a, a great gift. So this is a form of generosity, engaging in this kind of Ethical conduct is a form of generosity. And that's one reason why it's said to perfect the quality of generosity. Because it's, a, it's kind of one of the deeper kinds of giving to have um, ethical conduct. It's said that we give the gift of fearlessness when we are engaged with um, non-harming in our lives. That beings who come into contact with us, knowing and seeing that we are engaged in ways that are not going to harm them, feel safe. So we give this gift of safety to all beings. So the basic understanding or teaching around um, ethical conduct has to do with the five precepts that we um, explore what it means to commit to um, non-harming refraining from killing living beings, refraining from taking what's not given, refraining from sexual misconduct, refraining from false speech, and refraining from intoxicants, things that cloud and confuse the mind. Now the, you know, when we think about those in general, we're often, we take those in almost like commandments. It's like, yep, okay, there they are, the commandments again. Um, And that that's not the way that we're really asked to engage in them in this practice. We're really asked to engage in them with thoughtfulness, not just as a, you know, oh, I'm not supposed to do that, but to, to explore what's the, what's the motivations, what, the, what are the underlying reasons why I'm, I'm tending in that direction? What's going on that would make me want to take something that's not given? So to to begin to explore it, not to just simply not do it, but to really connect to the the kind of underlying tendencies that lead us in that direction. It's said that exploring these qualities, I mean these um, precepts, actually cultivates some beautiful qualities. And since I'm talking about beautiful qualities, I'll highlight those. I think I talked about this last week. Refraining from taking life cultivates compassion, refraining from taking what's not given con- cultivates contentment refraining from sexual misconduct I think also cultivates contentment uh, it, it's said to cultivate a, a kind of a fidelity or a, a, um, a, a sense of the, a, a couple having trust in, in each other so trusting um, refraining from uh, lying cultivates truthfulness and refraining from uh, intoxicants cultivates clarity of mind. So this is not so much of a moral issue but really practical. The, the Buddha indicated or suggested that if we follow these guidelines we will be happier. It's not so much about right and wrong. It's about what leads us to happiness. What is it that um, uh, helps us to let go of the qualities of greed, aversion, delusion that confuse and cloud our mind and open to kindness, love, compassion, wisdom. The third quality, renunciation. Um, Renunciation is a word we don't usually like too much. Um, We usually think about it I think often, at least when I think about the word renunciation, I think about giving up something that I like. Um, What we're talking about here, I mean, it it does sometimes feel like giving up something we like in a way. Um, Because one of the main things, one of the main areas we explore is um, letting go of sense pleasure. Renouncing our Holding to sense pleasure. Not that we push away sense pleasure. But that that we're trying to live our lives constructing sense pleasure. Finding the next moment, the next moment of of pleasure. It's kind of like we think in a way that that is what's going to make us happy. If I just line up my life to have the next moment of pleasure, we have a very short-sighted view of what happiness is. And that kind of that kind of approach to happiness will lead to rope burn. So uh, there's one statement in the Dhammapada the Buddha talked about. Somebody who, a wise person, will forego a lesser happiness for the sake of a greater happiness. So it's not that sense pleasure is wrong or bad. It's just a lesser form of happiness. There's much much um, better ways to to find happiness than by endlessly trying to arrange our world to be pleasant. And so this is what the renunciation is about. It's about letting go of a lesser happiness so that we can move towards a greater happiness. So this... um, this I think connects with with virtue in terms of perfecting the quality of virtue because you know we do we do have to renounce <laughs> um, some of the potentially some of the ways we might engage you know let go of those and turn towards what 's happening inside that that 's the pathway towards the greater happiness is that we we renounce acting on some of these, um, these impulses of greed, aversion, delusion, and observe them instead. So that's a form of renunciation. We, we, we're working towards letting go of habits of mind. And that letting go, as I think I talked about last week, that letting go can be simple mindfulness. That refraining from acting on greed or aversion is a way to I think I talked about disengaging the gears last week, it disengages the, the gears, it doesn't mean that that quality is going to stop immediately but um, it does allow it to kind of live its life, have its own uh, course and because it's not you know, not being fed by our activities and thoughts and, um, and views it has a chance to wind itself out. You know, the energy of that pattern has some momentum and it will continue when we bring our mindfulness to it. But it's like putting the gears into neutral. It gives it a chance to wind itself out in its own time. The, um, the Buddha um, expressed in one of his discourses, he said, when I... Oh, he, there were some lay people that came up to him and said, you know, when, I, when we're, we're lay people and we're surrounded by pleasures and, and, you know, we find that our hearts don't leap up at this idea of renunciation. And the Buddha said, um, you know, I too, when I started my practice... I was engaged in letting go, engaged in the practices, and I found that my heart too didn't leap up at the idea of renunciation. So I asked myself the question, why is that? Why doesn't my heart leap up at the idea of renunciation? And what he came to, what he understood was, I don't understand the drawbacks of sense pleasure. And so this, uh, this moves us into the next um, Area wisdom, so essentially, this is part of our practice, beginning to explore to understand the drawbacks of our habits, the way we tend to live our lives we we don 't normally think of exploring i mean we 're so used to just kind of going in one direction and living our lives the way we 've used to it we 're used to, and kind of probably being in the consequences of them, but probably often, at least often um, putting the blame for those consequences out in the world it's like, well that person is the reason why I'm miserable right now as opposed to recognizing there's something inside that's contributing to that something inside that, that's kind of fighting with experience fighting with the present moment fighting with the truth of things as they are so the, you know, the, this um, exploration of wisdom has a couple of different aspects. And I, I talked about wisdom in this series in thinking about the, the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. I spent a number of weeks talking about wisdom. The, the main explorations of wisdom are what is skillful towards leading us towards happiness. What is So understanding what's skillful and what's unskillful. So beginning to recognize the things that we do in our minds, the patterns that we engage in, that lead us towards happiness and what leads us towards struggle and suffering. And to to acknowledge it. Acknowledge that, yes, the fact that I get angry when somebody speaks to me that way is something that is happening in my own mind, my own being. It's optional that I respond with anger when somebody speaks to me that way. It's very deeply conditioned and may not feel optional initially, but the exploration of bring, turning with mindfulness to our uh, our reactions begins to help us to see how they're inside of us, and that that you know again it's kind of like we disin- it disengages the gears, allows us to see that those patterns can wind out without fixing or changing something out there. But it is in here. And this is great news, actually. <laughs> you know, if we were at the mercy of what, of, of, you know, people just, you know, it's like we're just big buttons that people push all the time and that there's lockstep, somebody does that, they, ha- they can push our button and we respond or react in that way, it would be hopeless. But they can only push that button if we offer it to them to push. So that's what we're looking at. Where is that offering happening? How am I putting that button out there for them to push? So this is part of the wisdom. Looking at what's skillful, what's unskillful, how are we contributing? One of the main definitions is the the Four Noble Truths. Understanding the Four Noble Truths. Engaging in this, engaging in them as practices. Understanding Struggle, understanding suffering, letting go of the cause of struggle, letting go of offering the buttons, um, moving towards um, release. There's a possibility for release from suffering and that there's a path, a way to cultivate it. I'm going to have to speed up. <laughs> then there's energy, which it's, it's kind of a, an interesting quality. It is... Um, the kind of movement, or in this list, it is the energy applied to our practice. It is preceded by wisdom, because it's not just that this is any kind of energy. This is energy directed in a skillful direction. Energy towards our practice. It kind of manifests as a way that the energy itself, the quality of energy supported by this wisdom. There's a beautiful phrase that... um, uh, I learned from Steve Armstrong recently, uh, from, from the, the teachings on Buddhist psychology, that this quality of energy manifests as non-collapse in the face of struggle. So that, that the, this is a, a really supportive, helpful quality for us. That if we have this energy, we're able to meet our struggles. The quality of patience is the next one. Patience around applying this energy. Because it's not just that we have a moment of being able to meet experience with wisdom. And then like, poof, we're enlightened. Everything's fine. I'm going to be happy for the rest of my life. No more clinging, no more wanting, no more reacting when people say things. doesn't happen that way. It's much slower. It's a slower process. Patience is required to engage in this practice. We have these moments, potentially, if we can, with energy and wisdom, meet our experience. We see a shift. We experience, we understand the wisdom, not only intellectually, but Deeply, we understand it in our, in our being. And then a few hours later, that understanding is gone. We're back to reacting in that way, back to offering our buttons to people. So it's not... It's, it's that the conditions come together at times for us to be able to meet a moment... See something very deeply. And then those conditions change. So it takes patience to be with the fact that those conditions change. That we have to continue to bring that energy. Cultivate that wisdom. Cultivate this uh, active um, quality of virtue, of giving. We, We have to continue. Patience. The um, next quality, the quality of truthfulness. Now this is, uh, my understanding of this as a, as a parami, this quality, is that it is not about necessarily, I mean it would include truthfulness of speech. But when I look at this list, truthfulness of speech is included in the second parami, it's included in virtue, it's included in ethical conduct, under wise speech, refraining from false speech. So what does this mean here? What does truthfulness mean? My understanding is that it it, it means um, that there's just kind of a couple different layers of it. One is that it's a truthfulness of acknowledging, kind of that, that truthfulness of acknowledging our own participation in our struggles. That's a form of truthfulness. That we recognize that it's our own, the qualities in our own hearts and minds that are leading us to... Um, the, to, to struggle to suffering, to feeling like things aren't right, so that the, the part of the um, truthfulness is to to begin to really deeply it's kind of being really honest with ourselves about how we're participating, being really honest with ourselves without w- about when we're engaging skillfully and unskillfully, to not simply you know kind of ignore those unskillful times like, oh yeah, oh, okay kind of paper it over. But to really acknowledge, yeah, that wasn't so skillful. Not to beat ourselves up about it, but to learn from it. And then there's the acknowledging of what's actually true right here and now. Being open enough to really meet what is true. Acknowledge, yes, this is what's true right now. We don't actually do that very often. We're much more coming into a moment with some idea or view and seeing our experience through that view and interpreting our experience through that view and not really recognizing that it's a view so that we're we're not really engaging in a, a truthful meeting of experience when we I mean it's not that we can get rid of our views necessarily we'll always have some view or perspective that we're seeing through but to recognize that that's a view this is part of truthfulness. Then there is determination, which is um, resolve. To me, this is a little bit similar to patience in a way because it's at least connected. It's kind of another, another um, aspect of, of what it means to engage in this practice and how we have to continue to commit I'd say this is the commit side of practice. That we can't just, you know... It's something that takes a repeated commitment. That this resolve, this quality of resolve is... um, uh, You know, when we think about resolve, I mean, the word resolution, for for many of us, conjures up New Year's resolutions. And, you know, that notion of a New Year's resolution, you know, okay, this is what I'm going to do this year... We, you know, New Year's Eve. We make this resolution, and when's the next time we think about it? Um, so the the understanding around resolve here is that it's a it's a regular refreshing of this resolve. It's not something we just do. It's like, yep, I'm going to practice mindfulness and then forget about it. It's a continued commitment. So it's like, you know, if we just simply restate, reconnect with our commitment. This is what this is what's important to me. So it's kind of connecting with what's important to us. What's most important to us in terms of this movement towards freedom is to be really truthful with ourselves. Really honest with ourselves. So we commit to that truthfulness. We have to really commit to that truthfulness because it's hard. It's hard to see. It's hard to meet the truth sometimes. So, commitment. And this can be just even in a sitting, just the act of waking up noticing, oh I'm lost in thought, and just coming back. That, that's an aspect of this re- resolve, of this commitment. Okay, this is what I'm doing. I'm letting go of things that are pulling me away from the present moment. And resolving, this is what I'm doing, just coming back moment after moment. So it, it even is in very small ways cultivated in our practice, this quality of resolve. The ninth quality is kindness, loving kindness. And this is this new quality of an open heart, of um, acceptance. Acceptance. the open heart, soft, the soft heart, um, it, to me it does have that quality, you know, it feels to me almost viscerally like when there's contraction or resistance, I feel it here. There's kind of a, a, a hardening here. So that, that the heart itself, the feeling in the heart can kind of be a guide for us around this quality of kindness. Do we feel guarded do we feel open? This quality of kindness, we bring this quality to ourselves in our practice. We, it's helpful to meet every experience, meet the truth with an open heart. Non-resistance to the truth. It's like this. That's cultivating this quality of kindness in our hearts. And we also um, explore ways to meet others with an open heart. Explore ways to meet our friends, our families, people we don't know with an open heart. Just like, as I said earlier, going into the grocery store and having a smile for the cashier instead of just being kind of in your own mind. So this open heart is a heart that is kind of an unconditional feeling of kindness. It doesn't need anything back. It's... it's this quality of... of... offering without needing anything back. And for me, the actually the beautiful thing I found, and I'll actually talk m- more about loving-kindness either next week or the following week, because it's such an important quality. Um, the, the surprise for me when my heart really felt like, you know, at times felt like it just opened so fully that it didn't need anything back, the mind-blowing thing was, it's like that's the feeling I had been looking for. That feeling of that heart being so open and not needing anything back, that feeling, that very feeling was what I had been hoping to get from somebody else. And it didn't need anyone else. It didn't need anything back from anybody to be nourishing. It was a huge, really amazing recognition that we're we're afraid in our love, afraid that if we offer and don't get back, that we'll be hurt. That's a fear. It's it's a very legitimate fear. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a fear that we live in. And I'd like to suggest that the, there's the possibility of having that openness without that fear. And the uh, way to perfect that <laughs> is through this cultivation of equanimity, balance of mind, of being able to meet what comes without reactivity, not swayed by how people act, what they do. Not swayed even by our own internal arisings of habits and patterns. It's like, oh, there's anger again. Oh, look at that. Not being like, oh no, there's anger. Oh, I've got to not do any... Uh. Like, oh, there's anger again. Okay, wow. It's still coming up. Okay. <laughs> That's a kind of more equanimity. A, a, a more balance of mind around our experience. That's a quick tour through those ten qualities. Um, And just a few thoughts about working with them. One, I mean, just in as I talked about them, and I'm just going to name them again right now, and as I name them, having heard a little bit about them, just see if there's any one that kind of resonates for you. You know, one that you feel like, yeah, that one, that one feels like I'd like to, you know, maybe explore it a little more. Generosity. Ethical conduct. Renunciation. Or letting go. Wisdom. Energy. Patience. Truthfulness. Resolve, commitment, kindness, loving kindness, and equanimity. So choosing one—I mean, I would recommend, you know, having one as a kind of an entryway, and in um, you know choosing choosing one that resonates for you. That I, I like to think about it that way because it's like that's where the juice is. You know, it's like that's where you might find some some traction to engage with this practice. If you think of it as, okay, here's a list, I need to start with generosity. And generosity isn't what's up for you, but patience is, you know, start with patience. So there's some ways to do this. And, and, and for me, uh, you know, the, again, thinking about this as practice in daily life, mostly, um, is, is part of how to explore this. Creativity in finding ways to practice with that. Creating practices for yourself. How might you explore patience in your life? What might be practices that would support cultivating patience or kindness or truthfulness? Just exploring for yourself. So creativity is one thing I like to encourage, especially in daily life practice. Some of these qualities have formal practices the qualities, I mean the the, the, the aspect of, of generosity has some, you know we cultivate giving to practice generosity but giving is pretty broad so you might explore different ways to play with giving, you know one thing at one point I was practicing uh, coming out of Whole Foods and seeing um, the, the people that sit there who were asking for support and I didn't um, um, want to offer money for some reason but what I did every time when I saw somebody there I bought some food, extra food and I offered it to them you know, I said would you like a peach or would you like uh, I've got several things here would you like a sandwich or some juice you know, just to offer it to them um, fully wrapped everything so I was practicing that as a form of generosity as a form of giving you can come up with your own practices there Gil suggests one from time to time, you know, about generosity. Put a $20 bill in your pocket with the intention to give it away sometime and see what happens, what inspires you, what motivates you to do that. Explore that. Look at where it's like, oh, I might give it away, but no, not here. Look at that. Create your own practices. You can do that around all of these. Some of them do have formal practices, like like metta, and equanimity, there are some formal meditation practices that we can use to cultivate those qualities, and I'll talk more about those in the coming weeks. But creativity in our daily lives. Two kind of fundamental ways to work with create, uh, cultivating these qualities. One, just notice with mindfulness if this quality does arise for you. So if you're cultivating patience, recognizing when patience comes up. Kind of, okay, oh, actually I'm feeling patient right now. So just notice that. Get familiar with the quality when it comes up. The very familiarity with the quality begins to uh, cultivate it. That's as I was talking about last week a little bit, that when we are mindful of wholesome qualities, it tends to create the conditions for them to appear more frequently. So if we recognize when patience is present, when um, truthfulness is present it cultivates that quality. We can just kind of let it f- slide by, you know. It's like not really recognizing when these qualities come. I think these qualities actually come through our day more than we realize. So beginning to acknowledge that, recognize when they come. And then the other uh, kind of general way to explore these is through um, noticing what's, gets its, what gets in its way. Or noticing the opposite quality. So if you are, um, you know, cultivating, uh, you know, practicing with that generosity, that exercise of putting that twenty-dollar bill in your pocket, you know, noticing when it feels like, oh no, don't want to, don't want to give that away now. Notice that. Not that you have to. What I'm not saying is leap over that and do the giving. I'm not saying that. What I'm, wa- I'm ex- suggesting is to explore. What's there? What, what? Why is it that I'm hesitant here? Some of it might be wisdom. There may be some wisdom in not giving this at this point, or the, and there can be some also some fear beginning to kind of tease apart what's happening in our experience as we find ourselves coming, co- coming up against, rubbing up against these qualities and kind of feeling, no, not, not no. No, impatience is really important right now. It's like, I've got to get this done and I, I, I can't slow down. <laughs> so you're noticing that, okay, hurrying is happening, rushing is happening and the sense of the mind being uh, resistant to what's going on right now because I've got something they need to get to is happening. So, noticing what gets in its way, and noticing the quality itself. I've got five minutes for cont- <laughs> for comments. <laughs> so, anybody have any comments or... <coughs> questions?
1: Uh, the uh, comments you were making about uh, feeling like a bunch of buttons that people push reminded me of something that was useful to me um, back in the 70s. Uh, a teacher of, uh, I guess you'd call it the human potential, uh, talked about ownership of your feelings, that if you have the attitude that you own your feelings and other people are not pushing you around, yes. you'll grow a lot faster.
0: Yes. That's very much the the flavor of what I was pointing to. It is that you know, that we essentially taking responsibility for what we're feeling, and that's good news, because it means that, um, you know, like somebody else can't make you angry. You have to participate in some fashion in that, and that participation is something that, with mindfulness, we can begin to let go of. So that it's not like forcing it down or shoving it down. It's not like we're saying, okay, I'm not supposed to be angry. Mm, you know, It's not like that. It actually begins to transform. So that it's, uh, you know, it's, um, it's through, I think it's through the mindfulness that really helps to, to transform that and allows us to see not only how we are participating, but gives us that disengaging of the gears. You know? it, it, it helps to keep us from feeding it. Thank you. Any other comments? Questions? Oh, go ahead, Bill, and then Arthur. <laughs> Arthur, you can take the mic and go next if there's time.
1: So I'm, f- I'm feeling some resistance to the long list of 10 <laughs> things.
0: <laughs> That's why I said to just pick one.
1: I know. Well, <laughs> I was wondering if you had... Um, if you had another suggestion besides just
0: picking one
1: for that resistance.
0: Ah, notice the resistance.
1: <laughs> I think I just did.
0: <laughs> Don't resist the resistance. <laughs> Go ahead
1: this is about um, being mindful, daily life practice, being mindful of practicing these qualities. Um, I was noticing this morning, I, I was um, rushing the way people do in the morning and trying to do all the things I needed to do in the house and think about all the things I needed to get through the day and et cetera. Um, and I was mindful, somehow um, I kept my I, I was aware that I was doing that and uh-huh. thinking about it. It was a very, very interesting experience. <laughs> um, but the thing I noticed was that um, when, when that quality of mindfulness came up and I was noticing what was going on, that monkey mind is, I, I, I guess, what was going on, um, I stopped doing those things. I, it 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 brought a halt to it. Uh-huh. Which was interesting and not so interesting because in a sense there was nothing more to observe in there. Uh-huh. And and then the quality watching didn't last very long and I went back to what I was doing. Uh-huh. Or the the 20 different things I was doing and then that then
0: worked. you noticed and then it stopped. Oh, right. and, yeah. <laughs> so so the
1: question is about um what I just described and how to sustain the observing and the doing at the same time—it's complicated.
0: It's—it's—it's—it's um, it's, it's, um, it's not easy. I wouldn't say it's complicated. It's not—it's not—it's um, actually simple, but it's not easy. It's—it's um, it's a learning. Um, now, now, first of all, there's um, there's the sense of okay, you know, so when you're noticing... I kind of had a similar thing this morning. I had a bunch of meetings yesterday and my mind was full this morning of the, the things I had to do based on those meetings and I was kind of like making my to-do lists and, and uh, you know, it's like the mind was in this very energetic state that, that was not so skillful. And then you know, in becoming aware of that, noticing it, it didn't quite come to a halt immediately. It was kind of more like... It, I watched it kind of wind out um, and, and at that point it's like, okay, here I am, you know, I was in the shower, and it's like, it's not really necessary to do that right now. You know, <laughs> So that's one question to bring to this exploration. You know, when you see that your mind is doing, you've got the monkey mind going, and you're doing so many things at once, and the mindfulness comes in, and you see it kind of fall apart... Reflect on, is it necessary to do those 20 things at once? Do you actually have to do that now or not? If not, let it go. Sometimes we do. Sometimes we actually do have to do all those things. So in that case, it's, it is, it's, it's kind of an exploration and um, different ways to approach being present. And I'd suggest a body exploration initially. What is your body doing? Maybe what are your hands doing? If you want to keep it simple, what are your hands doing um, it, to to just just give your attention something to connect with in the busyness so that you it's, and again creativity here I mean this is just something i 'm you know cre- you know <laughs> somebody mentioned hands the other day it 's like oh that 's what popped into my mind to mention it so um, um, you know there 's there's, there's for me, one of the things I I did is to you know kind of picking something that happened regularly through the day to help keep me going and um, to to begin to get a sense of what it's like to be mindful in movement. Um, or and also you might pick times where there's your mind is less active, um, making dinner, chopping vegetables in the kitchen. Perhaps you may be in a place where the the mind can be a little more settled and you can engage with. Have, have that be a practice. Okay, I'm going I'm to practice with, with being present for everything that happens around making dinner. Have that be kind of your meditation session, that 40 minutes of preparing the meal. And that gives you a, a practice in being present in the midst of activity, perhaps when your mind isn't quite so agitated. So you were trying in a way that the, your situation this morning was one of the most difficult because your mind was very active in the doing. So finding times and ways to practice with being mindful in the doing when your mind is less active will give you the tools to begin to be more present when the mind is more active. It's kind of like the, you know, practicing basketball, you know, you don't throw yourself into an NBA game first thing, you know. You practice by yourself first, and then you maybe practice a pickup game, and um, you know when you're, you throw yourself into the midst of the most difficult thing, you're just going to get rolled over. So the mindfulness needs to be cultivated, and you know, kind of approximate the situation that you're trying to be mindful in. find ways that might be easier, or situations that are similar that might be easier for you to be mindful in, and practice with those. are just some thoughts. And again, creativity. Make up your own practice. (laughs) So thank you all.